I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, Honey, I blew up everything except for our kids. Yeah, my honey come back. Sometime I'm on a red back jack. Sometime I get a hop in my back. Sometime I'm going over here. Sometime. Because, like, it's not like he shrunk the kids. He blew up. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a little change of perspective, really. Yeah, yeah. People never look at it that way. Like, the amazing shrinking man. How about the uh, amazing growing world? <laughs> I think of this world as always growing because of the internet. We can reach out and make pat comments to people across the internet with the form of podcast. Uh, but, yeah, where we love to watch we're movie podcasts, we pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And this month, we are doing, uh, we're covering Disney's attempt to uh, milk or create, um, I don't know if a fr- franchise isn't the right word. Uh, we we had, don't have a great name for this month. What should we call it? So it's like Disney action adventure movies from the late 80s, early 90s. Peter, best name for this month. Go. Let's explain the concept to come up with a name. Like, yeah, let's, it's, let's yeah, it's, we'll come up with a name on the air. We'll do it. We will do we'll, it. We'll, we'll do it that way. Yeah. So so Peter and I, if you listen to the show for a while, you know that like there's an area besides like horror movies is kind of our bread and butter. I think if you were to put like our number two favorite genre to discuss, it's not really a genre. It's like an aesthetic. And that aesthetic is Disney's. um a lot of their odd and weird efforts from the 80s and 90s. So some of those that we've covered is stuff like Air Bud. We've covered um, uh, some that are great that just weren't successful, like Return to Oz. Some that are a complete mixed bag, like The Black Cauldron. And it's because, like, even though Disney is is this insane monolith today, uh, they really struggled in post-60s. Like, the 70s were not a great time for them. They still had some hits. The 80s were so bad that, like, Disney Animation Studios almost got shut down. Um, their their budgets were slashed on most of their movies. There was an idea that Disney could go bankrupt or sell off part of their company or stuff like that. And, um, and then all of a sudden, in 1989, they rediscover success in kind of both areas of their movie making their animated franchise and their uh their or their animated movies and their live action movies with two of the biggest hits they've ever had uh two relatively well uh well received by critics and audience movies one a little bit more than others and with that newfound success they kind of they tried they kind of wanted to replicate that success so the two movies we're talking about in this case are uh, Little Mermaid from 1989 and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids from 1989. All of a sudden, they're, they're musicals, uh, you know, they're movie musicals with uh, Alan Menken, Howard Ashman. They're doing, like, these wonderfully animated, Broadway-level caliber songs. And Little Mermaid's a huge hit. They immediately, again, they have a couple other animated movies come out that we one of them we've done, Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> and uh, I forget the other one that came out after that, too. But then they kind of were like, this is what we're doing. We're doing big 
Broadway-type animated musicals of classic fairy tales. And, of course, they have even bigger hits with uh, Beauty and the Beast, with Aladdin, Lion King. And that was a that was a pretty easy formula for them to, to replicate. In 1989, which is what we're kicking off today with, which is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it was also their biggest live-action movie of all time. Now, Disney live-action, Peter, has always been, even pre-1989, um, has always been definitely second fiddle to their animated division. They oh, have some yeah. great movies, but they also have a lot of like, what the fuck are you doing? There is that whole, <clears throat> there's that whole account, um, the, the the Disney Plus parody account, um, that they had to change their name eventually to like Disney Prime or something. Yeah. Um, that uh, they they mined so much comedy out of uh, that 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 sixties seventies era of Disney movies where it was just like the computer wore tennis shoes era. Um, yeah, Kurt Russell's in a lot of um <laughs> because literally no one remembers those movies except for as punchlines or if you are a thousand years old. And they haven't they yet despite that, like uh you can talk to my like four year old nephew and he'll be like, Pinocchio, Pinocchio just like a movie that's coming up on a hundredth anniversary. Um Yeah, yeah, and that's like intermixed with stuff that people do remember. Like people do remember Swiss Family Robinson and Old Yeller and like maybe Treasure Island and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And they, yeah, they were doing that with like the Shaggy DA and the Love Bug and all these other like weird entries that are kind of like forgotten or like a half-remembered fever dream from your childhood. And that's kind of always how Disney live action has been. They've like mixed the, they, they almost have like very specific threads. Like we're going to do the adaptations of classic literature um, as Disney live action movies and then we're also going to do like what if, what if uh, Bill Cosby makes a deal with the devil? <laughs> but most of them weren't big hits, um, and most of them are either forgotten to this day or and even in the eighties, you know, thinking of more Disney movies that we've done, like we did Tron, which is a Disney movie, which is they were always trying these new and weird things, but the eighties they just weren't having much success with anything they did. So, in 1989 really revitalized them as a studio. It put them onto the track to be the uh, corporate monolith swallowing up everything that anyone loves uh, that they are today. But while the Disney animated uh, films of the 90s are well-remembered classics, they really didn't know how to capitalize off of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or just the ease at which you could make a live-action movie compared to an animated means they kind of kept throwing stuff Throwing stuff out to try, including replicating old successes of, like, adaptations of classic literature. And what's really interesting about uh, 90s live-action Disney movies post-Honey, I Shrunk the Kid is they actually started out with either some ver- some critical darlings or some big successes. Uh, so we're talking about, like, White Fang with Ethan Hawke, Rocketeer, which we'll be doing, uh, The Mighty Ducks. These were, like, big hit movies, uh, even The Muppet Christmas Carol, that kind of came in 1990 through 1992. And then... After that, it kind of just keeps getting falling apart, making movies that just aren't that successful, trying to replicate formulas and it not working. And then eventually you do end up with like the big green, the shitty soccer remake of the Mighty Ducks with half the same people in like 97 combined with like, what if a dog can play basketball? So that that track is very, I think, interesting to Peter and myself. So and we kind of have divided into like we kind of think of it as as when it comes to live action movies into like almost four, four things that they tried, which is they were kind of doing the action adventure movies that sometimes that's uh, 
replicating old uh, classics as well. I mean, they did then, uh, or old literature classics, they did an adaptation of The Adventures of Huck, Huck Finn uh, in 1993 with Elijah Wood. But they did, yeah, that. They did like the sports movies, which is The Mighty Ducks and everything that came after that. Uh, animal movies, which is the White Fangs, and uh, you know, eventually into stuff like Air Bud that kind of crosses between uh, sports and animals. Uh, a lot of like domestic comedies, like the we're going to get a Jonathan Taylor Thomas, we're going to pair him up with Chevy Chase, we're going to call him Man of the House. It's going to be a hit. Be upon him, uh, and then uh, yeah, action adventure. And so for this one specifically, why we don't have a name, we are tracking kind of uh, Disney's re rise and refall in action adventure movies starting with honey i shrunk the kid because uh, that is the one that kind of re-kicked off disney's success in this era we're going to go to a unsuccessful movie in an era where they were still churning out some good live action hits but was critically acclaimed and i would actually say maybe the most loved of the movies we're going to talk about this month which is uh 1991's the rocketeer directed by the same person who did yeah, it uh, is It is a cult movie. It is the definition of a cult movie. It's a movie that did not do well in theaters, but it uh, Critically survives well to this day. And yeah. it is a movie. I think the, the true definition of a cult movie is if uh, you mention it and someone goes, oh, I fucking love The Rocketeer. Yeah. That's that's the real that's the real trick. A uh, cult movie is not um, like, yeah, everyone loves The Matrix. That's not a cult movie. Uh, so then, yeah, so we're kind of doing like the the hit that revitalizes it, the critically beloved movie that audiences still love to this day. And it's just a really great movie. I'm excited to talk about that one next week. And then into the like mild success that also was like, what the fuck was that? It's, it's like the movie before the downfall where like people still see it because it has Disney's name attached to it. And it has all these stars that I guess people were excited to see. And then they see it and they're like, oh. Does Walt Disney mean shitty? And uh, and that is uh, 1994's uh, Three Musketeers, starring now Peter. Off the top of your head, can you name as you as you know in the Three Musketeers because the Three Musketeers always bring a new boy in as part of the story. Um, there's four. Can you name off the top of your head the four Musketeers in the movie? The actors. Oh, geez, this is going to be a real real problem for me. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> No, that would be one hell of a get once we go through the list that actually exists. All right. Uh, Skeet Ulrich. No Skeet. No. No Skeet. No Jonathan Taylor Thomas, of course. Oh, he, he no. He's a pacifist. Yeah. Um, peace be upon Oh, 1994 him. also had Santa Claus. Their, their movie that dethroned Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is the highest grossing Disney live action movie. <laughs> I, so we've done a lot of these. Jonathan Taylor Thomas's uh, goth brother on Home Improvement. <laughs> Oh, Zachary Ty Bryant? Oh, no, Tara Noan Smith is who you're thinking of. That's younger. I said goth brother. Was Zachary Ty Bryant the goth brother? I don't remember when he turned goth. Whoever the little brother was, he got goth. He, the little brother was Tara Noah Smith. I didn't say his name at all. I just said his goth brother. Yeah, but which one do you mean? His older or younger? JTT was middle. The younger one. TNS. They all have three three initials. Yes. TNS was younger and ZTB was <laughs> older. Uh, ZTB. Uh, sorry, are we talking about um, Zachary Ty Bryan? Okay, we're, we're not talking about uh, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Did you know that ZTB was in um, uh, TCR two? 
Wait, no, wait. It'd be, no, wait. It'd be TRC colon two? Something like that. You know, ZTB was in. just kick back? I don't know. TR colon C2. TR colon Z2. C2. TR colon C2. Yeah. ZTB was. Is that a new Pepsi flavor? <laughs> it's the Rage Carry 2. You don't call it that? Oh, the Rage Carry 2. Using the T as, as part of the acronym really um, really was a, a, a tricky thing. Yeah, well, obviously you're not a TR colon C2. Uh, C2 the mind of a con man is in you. <laughs> uh, no, so it's not ZTB or... LRH? TNS or JTT. <laughs> what about JTT? Oh, actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, Every one of them has two names. Everyone? So if you get, if you are like, if you so think of a three namer, Oswald is out. He's out. Uh, Not even man. a junior. You can't even say like John Hinckley Jr. Wasn't yeah. him. So so Skeet Ulrich is out, huh? Who else was it? Was a famous Skeet Ulrich has two era. names. What are you Not talking? Not Freddie Prince Jr. That's three. Three that's names. Three. You you gotta think a little older. They weren't. They have. Remember, there's one. I don't know any of the names in Three Musketeers. There's one younger guy that they bring in they're like you're gonna be part of three musketeers and which is very confusing as a kid because you're like there's four of them on all the covers i still don't totally understand why there's it's not called the four musketeers seems kind of shitty um the e, 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 okay you can't see. name one name me so name you me gotta a, be you gotta be thinking like two of them are big time brat packers oh emilio estevez no but you're close Judd Judd uh, Nelson. Oh my God! I, no, <laughs> I said you were close with Estevez. Oh, 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 I was close with Estevez. Charles Sheen. Charles Sheen is one of them. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, that guy liked being in shit with numbers. Two and a half men. Three uh, tears. Who is who is a dead zone guy? Tom, not Thomas Hayden Church. <laughs> <laughs> no, Thomas. No, that'd be a three namer. <laughs> no, it's not Anthony Michael. Edwards. Imperioli? Yeah, Mike, yeah, Michael Imperioli. Hi, you and your three musketeers want to get a pizza? <laughs> yeah, uh, the castle's just on the Jersey Turnpike, you gabagool. <laughs> am I still looking for... Am I still looking for a second Brat Packer? Yeah, there's one more Brat Packer. And it's not the dude from Dead Zone? Isn't that no? It's it's my, not Anthony Michael Hall. It's Michael not Thomas Anthony Edwards. Thomas Ma, Michael. Stop naming three names. Michael people. C. Hall. Michael. No. <laughs> Michael Tatum O'Neill. I don't think any of these. I think you, your brain broke. No, I'll give you a hint. Oh wait, I, I was gonna I was gonna say the theme song to that television show he starred in, but I'm pretty sure the theme song is just dun dun dun. Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes? <laughs> no, who the, who's Famous a Brad Packer with Packer? a He's a Brad Packer with a clock show. <laughs> yeah, a clock show that's not 60 Minutes? Oh, yeah! It's it's 24 times as long. <laughs> it's the show 24? Yeah. Keith or, Keith or Sutherland? Yes. Thank, oh my god. If we ever play like charades, we should just go home. <laughs> well, how would... <laughs> You know, uh, from 24. Why dun, did you just dun, say dun. Donald Sutherland's little brother? <laughs> or son. Little son. You think son. it's his little brother? His little son. Um, uh, <laughs> so yeah, okay. Got, so we got two, two musketeers out of the got way. Two, you got two more. One 
was <clears throat> sorry we got one more musketeer and then one more <laughs> yeah, let's, do, let's do the other musketeer friends. let's do uh he's he's definitely going to be the reason if you like the movie which you probably won't yeah it's going to be the the reason you like the movie it is maybe the funniest person to think of as a three musketeer from this era <laughs> he is also plays paul bunyan in the fourth movie that we're going to do where it's like what the fuck was this tall tale oh uh um <laughs> shit patrick swayze no patrick swayze plays Pecos bill we can do the same I, we can do the same thing again. Like, who plays Pecos Bill? <laughs> so, Paul Bunyan, also playing the Three Musketeer. Uh, this is 94, 95. So, Disney was like, you know what? Oliver Platt. Put him in our movies. <laughs> we gotta get. We gotta get in the Oliver Platt business. You gotta get. You gotta, you gotta get in there. Because, uh, like, three years later, he would be uh, the... Um, <laughs> the the uh, third field lead fat, in Lake Placid. Fat sex person on Lake Placid. Yeah. Wait, why do we both go to Lake Placid? <laughs> <laughs> He's been in better movies. Uh, not to me. So, number four, the fourth musketeer in the movie, The Three Musketeers, is maybe the quote-unquote hippest 90s kid who already looked like he was 30 and we have covered a movie with him in. That came out the year after The Three Musketeers in 95. He already came out. It, it was a movie we've already done. Came out in 95. He was playing a young boy in his 30s. A young boy Much, in his 30s who wanted to be a big boy. Yeah, I mean, but to the audiences, you could see he wasn't clearly already a big boy. But so they kept sort pretending. Of foreshadowing, I think. Which is him because you know that he's already going to be a big boy because he is a big boy. In fact, yeah, he was adopted by another grown man. Also, I think it's the same age as him. Uh, and, I'm pretty and, sure that was just a euphemism for being in a gay couple in the 90s, right? I mean, yeah, oh, I'm probably. Taking this, I'm taking this young man under my wing. He's three years younger yeah. than you. So yes, not yes, but he's literally either you figured this out. Or you're being insanely literal on accident. <laughs> yes, he was in that movie that we covered, taken under a, a literal wing. Um, and it was definitely a coded gay movie. Uh, it's not Tom Cruise, right? No, it's fucking Chris O'Donnell in Batman Forever. Chris O'Donnell! <laughs> Christopher O'Donnell. Famous twink. And Batman. Uh, sure. Famous Batman Twink forever. to Batman. Twink to the star. That's why, like, I, I had to assume you got it. Like, oh, was it actually he's supposed to be gay, but he's just taken under the wing? It's like, yeah, um, you've nailed it. On accident. So we're, we're, we're yeah, yeah. So we've got, we've got the four mus- musket boys, right? Yeah, and we couldn't have done that on the episode about the three musketeers because Peter would have presumably known, having seen the movie. Um, so I still probably would have forgotten that Oliver Platt was, at least was... one, <laughs> at least one you would have forgotten. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. We're doing action adventure Disney, and like there's more that that Disney came out in this time period. They really were churning out movies very quickly, and clearly that's where quality control fell apart. So I, I would definitely love, like I do find this this era and the '80s specifically really fascinating. Clearly, we've done a lot of these movies. 
not just because they're just a part of our childhood. Like, I mean, all the Disney animated musicals are part of my childhood. And even though I like a lot of those movies, I'm not chomping at the bit to do um, to do like Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast or anything just because like I'd be like, yeah, these are great. Yeah, well, I don't know what we would do with that. That hasn't. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't find it all that interesting to talk about. But like these, these other like edge case movies, some successful, I do find just fascinating because it is just a studio trying desperately to continue on its success that it had, and its hits are interesting, its misfires are interesting. Um, so I yeah I'd love to do a Disney Sports Month at some point or just some of these other like weird categories that they did but I I'm really excited for this one because it it does have um, two movies that I'm really psyched to talk about and two movies that I think are is going to be very fun for me to revisit because I did see uh, Three Musketeers and Tall Tale tons of times as a kid and I, I liked them quite a bit like they weren't my favorites. But they were like, oh, I have this on VHS, so I'm going to watch it over and over. And I have not seen them in 25 years, and I'm excited to revisit them. And again, uh, we'll get our plat attack. Platity, pat, plat. Cast our bellies will plat. be flat with consuming Oliver Platt. Uh, yeah, you could you could serve Oliver to me on a platter, I and I'd eat one. it right up. I already did that one. So yeah, so yeah, that's so... a lot of plat, plat, uh... Yeah, uh, things like hey, uh, I like my martinis with uh, one Oliver Platt. <laughs> like, what what am I supposed to do with this? I love him so yeah. much. Or if I ever got a tat, it'd be a Platt. I'd get a Platt tat of Platt. him of him as Paul Bunyan. <laughs> <laughs> so we're kicking it off with Honey I Shrunk the Kid, which kind of kicked off Disney's live action renaissance in the nineties. You put well, a little sugar on that, re- that that pronunciation of Renaissance. I liked it. Renaissance. You, you went a little Renaissance. Renaissance. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fair dude. I just want you to. I wanted to put a little, put my flag here and just say it was good, and just you know, do it again every single time you say the word. Great. It was the progenitor Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but this movie has a weird history, like. Little Mermaid, I think you could probably make the case that as they were working on, especially post, like, Oliver and Company and The Great Mouse Detective and Black Cauldron, like, those are good. I actually like all three of those movies, but there was probably a little bit of electricity. You're making, like, a classic uh, fable or fairy tale. You are going back to something that was, like, a very successful well for you. In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, which is, like, fairy tales built around a princess. You have these two, like, Broadway composers coming in to write music and songs in this big musical. Like, I know it was probably still felt a little risky, and I know there was budgetary stuff. But, like, I'm sure you were like, okay, like, if if we're going to make another really big hit animated movie, this is going to be it. And I think the marketing kind of supports that. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I think, is a little funnier. Uh, And we'll get into the movie itself proper here in a sec. Because it is a movie that was brought to them by two of our favorite boys, Peter. Mm -hmm. Brian Usna and Stewie Gordy, under the name Teensy Weensies. That was supposed Terrible. (laughs) Every title they came up with after this, in successive order, was better than they landed on the best one, but um, yeah, there's a there was a pretty good one. There's a pretty good one they came up with in the middle. Uh, grounded, 
um, which yeah. is pretty pretty cute. Um, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is, is clearly, I think it's it's uh, the best. Oh, one. you don't think the the backyard was a good title? Yeah, that's um, that sounds like a a weird drama. That's that, I, you could probably call Take Shelter the backyard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come see what happens in the backyard. Or it could be a, a film about someone's luscious b- buttocks. Uh, that's a that's Juicy three feet long. Succulent buttock. It's a three feet long succulent buttocks. The backyard. <laughs> it's a whole yard of back. Baby got yard of back. Um, <laughs> yard of yard of back sounds like it's from. King I Harry like Tales. when our episodes are just word association for most of it. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else does, but me too. Uh, yeah, it's it's easier for us. We don't have to think. We just have to say words that sound vaguely like the last thing that you said, Peter. It's great. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, but Stewie, Gory, Brian, you said when they bring this to Disney, they still want to kind of make a horror movie, but like a kid's horror movie. And Disney's like, sure, go make it. Uh, Stuart Gordon gets sick. I actually, I tried to look it up. I'm not sure, like, what he was sick with. Uh... Uh, I was just curious if you know. You don't have to no, like guess. I I I also tried to figure this out, and I was like, wasn't he like thirty? Um, yeah, I mean it, it's it's nineteen eighty eight, right? Like they they pitch this to Disney and start making it, so it's not like it's. So I was a little like I was just seeing if like maybe you found like did you get pneumonia or something like that, but we don't have to speculate. Uh, so yeah, so he ends Stuart up dropping Gordon out, was but a, they, a sickly child of thirty. Yeah, uh, that's why he had to get the ice cream. The wonderful ice cream suit kept him alive. Kept, kept him, uh, kept him ticking and making, uh, making gross ass movies about uh, people getting stuck in windshields. Exactly. So yeah. So Disney still wants to make the movie, uh, even though Usna and Gordon had made the script. Uh, Spielberg, who's doing some stuff with Disney around that time, like uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit with Amblin, uh, ends up uh, recommending uh, a guy that he had worked with. Um, I. I don't think it was on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Maybe it was. Uh, first time director named Joe Johnson to direct the movie. And Disney says, what the hell? Uh, this shows you the mindset of both the movie itself and um, the mindset of Disney at the time, right? That they were like, oh, well, somebody said that this like special effects guy uh, has chops. Spielberg says this special effects guy has chops. We are in no way slowing down production to find, yeah. you know, a, a different director. Let's get let's give this guy in that bat. Like this movie was an unexpected hit. Um, yeah, well, it, and yeah, hundred percent. It shows that they. I mean, this became the 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 highest grossing Disney live action movie of all time, right? And it was was eventually beaten five years later by the Santa Claus. Like there was just no conception of this being that kind of hit, leading to kind of a uh, yeah a, a renaissance. Of of more di- of, of putting a bunch of Disney live action stuff into production, and kind of like I think shaping a, my childhood and a lot of other people's childhood. Like if I had been born ten years earlier, I don't think my my childhood would have been filled with Disney Adventure magazines and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, literally because it didn't exist. But it's it's because of yeah this movie that like all of a sudden you know you just have Disney everywhere and it becomes this like mark of quality for I think a lot of people my age of oh disney's doing this it's gonna be good and it wasn't just because of the animated stuff it's because of honey i shrunk the kids and a lot of stuff that came after so yeah so they make this movie becomes a huge hit it's a short movie it's less than 90 minutes without the credits 
And they also do something very odd, which um, I didn't get a chance to rewatch because I don't own the DVD, but was such an important part of my childhood because I used to watch this on VHS all the time and I saw it in theaters. So I, so I don't know if you had this experience, Peter, but did, did you know that this had a uh, short in front of it? Uh, I did not know that. That's very strange. It is a Roger Rabbit short. Ah, I was going to say this this movie feels like this would have been a, a Zemeckis movie. Um. It does. It has that same energy. And it had a, I, uh, so it was like uh, Roger Rabbit in the hospital, but it's played completely straight laced. Like if you remember the opening of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a movie we definitely need to do at some point. It starts with just a, a, a like a cartoon short of a cartoon series that never existed, but in the 30s and 40s. Right. Like and then eventually when he fucks up the. Uh, birds or whatever that float around his head when he gets hit with a fridge or something it yells cut and exposes it as a cartoon movie set well this is like what was his name wasn't baby huey i forget what the name the baby's name is baby huey was like a big duck from the 40s i think that like max flesher did yeah it was, but, the, uh, it was a really angry baby with the deep voice yeah exactly um but i don't it, well, it's not baby huey <laughs> donald trump <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't think he's president anymore you zinged him so good yeah i zinged him so good Knocked i mean this right is the oval office what's funny is that this does come out the first week in november yeah can i do another take uh on that hey uh baby with a, a big baby who complains along with a deep voice you know what it sounds like you know what it sounds like who alex who jones <laughs> great now I want my bottle. Yeah. So this, uh, yeah. So it does start with a Roger Rabbit cartoon, just them in the hospital. Like it's a everyday cartoon. I think they did one more of these, but I think the idea was let's just, let's, let's keep doing Roger Rabbit cartoons for some reason. Um, but it was like hugely advertised on the VHS. And so every time I went to rent this movie or eventually we bought this movie or was at a friend's house and watched the movie, which was quite a lot. Like I, I saw this movie 50 times as a kid. Easy. It was just one of those movies that like you'd be at sleepovers, you'd be at friend's house. Oh, they have Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like, of course, I love this. This is everything I want in a movie. And I, I want to talk more about why I think that is. Um, this movie taps into something very like secretive that not that many kids movies get but we'll get into that when we get in the movie but yeah i just think it was so funny that it had this roger rabbit short that almost became as like that i i've seen almost as many times as this movie um because who would fast forward it if you're watching on vhs peter uh you wouldn't um because if you're watching something on vhs i inherently think about someone with a lot of time (laughs) sure yeah because you're you're a child, so you're yes, yeah. I, I think about VHS as a as a format for for leisure. So, last thing I say before we get into the movie proper, did you ever? So, did we can talk about this now? I guess did you grow up with this movie at all? Was this like a uh, thing for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My family loved these movies more so, like the latter two sequels. Um, really? Yeah, but my family loved these movies growing up. Um, I think they probably had like this on vhs or beta or whatever probably vhs um and uh did disney make beta it feels specifically like i don't i don't think so I, no, um, I don't think so that it feels well, plus this was they not, would have been like i'm not paying sony a penny for this shit like come on um, this this came out would have come out on video in 92 so i think beta is pretty much 
kaput by then yeah but anyways so um we had like this on vhs but like we also got the subsequent movies on vhs and for some reason my family was into the the next sequel uh honey i blew up the kid and i was and i was given honey we shrunk ourselves which was the dtv um yep. sequel i was given that at some point as like a present and i watched that movie like a thousand times so it's, i'm actually pretty funny. familiar with the series and we were pretty into uh, the ride at Disney, that was like one of the rides that we would go to Disney. Like, we have to do that. We have to do that. Did you get into the TV uh, show with um, Tom Hanks, runner-up, whatever his name, the other bosom Peter buddy? Scalari. Peter Scalari. Yeah, I saw that that existed, and I was like, this is the first time hearing of this. I think we talked about it a little bit when we did Sleepless in Seattle, because at the time, I think Peter Scalari is starting the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Apparently, it's just about him being a wacky inventor. No, no, I know what it was. It was Ticks. Is that Peter Scolari's in Ticks in 93, and then then Tom Hanks is in, uh, gets nominated for an Oscar for Philadelphia and is in Sleepless in Seattle that year. Uh, By the way, I saw some, uh, I saw some people on Twitter uh, making fun of the movie Ticks, and I feel like we should devote the rest of the episode telling them they are wrong. Ticks rules. Ticks the best. If that's if that's not what you're looking for in a movie, come find me and explain what you want out of eighty minutes of entertainment. Um, I'm infested. I'm infested. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that we've tapped out on pre-show discussion. Peter, are you ready to throw the baseball into the science machine? Am I ever? and really shrink this podcast i don't know what throw the baseball into the science machine means but i'm willing to do it didn't you just I'm see this violent, fucking movie impulsive person hold on didn't you just see this movie that's yeah. that's how the science machine yeah, I works know. it flies through the window it bounces off the machine i still don't know it exactly. doesn't bounce off the machine it stays on the machine are you gonna hold my feet to the fire on this one i want to make sure that you know how they shrunk the kids peter Baseball makes science work. Uh, yeah, I mean, baseball is magic, so every piece of science needs a little bit of magic. And that magic is baseball. Can we make Ken Burns narrate? <laughs> I suppose Ken Burns didn't narrate all his movies, but can we make the Ken Burns version <laughs> of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? It's like the old applesauce. <laughs> Some magical things happened in that attic that day. Because but seriously, that, that kid up. that threw a baseball through the window and invented the the shrinkulator, do you think he ever, yeah, do you think that he definitely would have been recruited by an MLB team? That kid? Just for stunt casting. Uh, here's, here's what I gotta say. The kid, the younger brother from the other family, <laughs> dresses and has the haircut of every kid I wanted to punch in, like, first through third grade. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I wish to hit a child and this is the child <laughs> i mean i was a child i want to be clear i was not an adult wanting to hit first through third grades yeah, i was in you, those grades peter you really couched your violence well uh okay so you as a child would have punched this child in the face or you, I, you, no you i wouldn't have. i've never i've never thrown a punch in my life not even at my siblings you felt desirous um, a, 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 a violence towards this little punk kid with a he wa- just wild he just has a, yeah he has that like look some people just have a face i, I i'm not saying that i wouldn't <laughs> punch the kid i punch the kid right now as an adult oh but now he might be bigger you don't know <laughs> 
No, I would he, punch he him. He could beat the kid. shit out He's of you. He's bigger than me now. I obviously wouldn't. Yeah, don't. It's a bad idea. Oh here, let's let's only let's punch oh, children. Yeah, can we can we hold on really quickly? You're gonna look up and see if you could punch him now. Yeah, I think so. Is Check it Little Russ? Maybe see if you can add him on LinkedIn. No, Little Russ has got to be the older guy, right? Yeah, add him on LinkedIn. <laughs> see if he'll fight me. Jared rushed in. Born in 1974. Oh, he could be frail. Yeah, oh my god, yeah, I could take him. Jared Rushton, height. Height, 5'7". Five, seven. Five, seven. Oh, he only made it to 5'7"? Are you sure that's the... You sure that's the young kid? Jared Rushton said 5'7", man. Actors are small. Did you see a picture, though? Yeah, I saw a picture. Jesus. Oh, yeah, he's in big. <laughs> that's ironic. No, but that's where I recognize him because he's Tom Hanks' friend who's like, you're fucking an adult! <laughs> that's the other place I wanted to punch him from. Now I'm, it's all coming back. <laughs> Look at this place! You're putting your penis in a Venus! <laughs> Wowie, wow, wow, Tom! I don't think, I don't, to be fair, I don't think his character in that movie's named Tom, but. That like, would be. If you, if you know Tom Hanks' character's name in Big, you're a fucking psycho. <laughs> <laughs> his name's Big, right? Yeah, big talk. Yeah, because he became big. <laughs> Do you want to talk about honey? We we freaking shrunk our kids. Do I want to talk about honey? What? Yeah, as much as I want to lose my virginity in a Lego. I will not be exploring this topic anymore. I'm going to go to the. That's bathroom. what happens. Remember it's, those it's those two life. sleep together in the Lego. Yeah. Which is the most erotic place to lose one's genity. I'm just going to say, I'm going to say it now before we cut over. But I'll tell you what, if she was disappointed with the size of his penis, he has the best excuse of all time. Shrinkage! It's like, yeah, it's normally bigger, but your dad shrink ray! (laughs) I don't know if the shrink ray was consistent. Do you think Matt Frewer, wait, hold on, so Matt Frewer at the end of the movie when he gets unshrunk... He's a little bit smaller. He's a little bit smaller. So he he no longer is able to satisfy Buffy's mom anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, I shrunk the kids. Let's do it. All right, that's our transition. taglines oh i sure am little debbie's oatmeal cream pies please send us a check (laughs) that looks good 
I want to eat that still I, to this I, day. I, I don't know if, if I had never heard, like if I moved to America and I never heard of Little Debbie's cream pot, oatmeal cream pies, it, I, I don't know if I would ever... It, I, I might Just taking, taking your big hand into that frosting doesn't seem yeah. appealing to you. But like in still to this day, maybe it's because like friends' parents used to buy it and my parents were always on like permanent diet so they never bought like Little Debbie shit. Um... I, anytime I went to a friend's house, they're like, oh, you want an oatmeal cream pie cookie? I would always be like, yes, absolutely, dude. Yeah, I was the same way. One of us, clearly, uh, once we got to a point where we could buy our own food, <laughs> kept, kept going with it a little more, Peter. I, I, I bought fucking, I, I remember when I got to college, I had a phase where I just bought all the shit my parents would never buy. Yeah, yeah so then I shrunk the kids. A guy... <laughs> Uh, at the end of the rope on his marriage, which is not something I picked up until I was an adult. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> like I their think... marriage is all like they are like debating whether to divorce and whether he cleans the house when the uh, when the wife's away uh, for a couple days is like seems to be a determining factor. And instead, he shrinks the kids. So, the that is okay. Okay. We can get into it now. It doesn't matter. That is a thing that was in '90s movies, where like uh, everyone the joke, was getting the joke is that like the mom is always dead in in '90s movies. But like they genuinely had to threaten for some reason in Disney Channel movies. They had to Disney Channel original movies and in Disney movies they had to somehow threaten the nuclear family or destabilize it. And like there's a bunch of pat like conspiracy theories that it was because Walt Disney's mother was abandoned by her father or whatever, and that's why. Bambi dies and whatever. Uh, well, I, I think his mother dies. Like, I, there's a bunch of pat answers for why. Um, they probably have very little to do with that. And there's probably a much better answer for for why well, they had to destabilize the family so often. Well, there's two good reasons, right? One, if you, um, I, I think we talked about this in some episode that like either a family that's gone through a divorce or a loss of a parent or a family that's threatened by that is, like, one of the only things that can add, like, dramatic impact to a kid's life. And since you're always shooting these things from the kid's perspective, and if you want him to be affected by something, like, that's an easy shorthand. And then the other advantage was is that you don't have to write dialogue or cast for two parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that can be the, like, that's the thing, right? Like, in all those movies... Mighty Ducks, Air Bud, like the list goes on and on and on of all those Disney movies. Like that's the thing that they are trying to improve upon. Like, you know, Air Bud, he misses his dad. He finds a dog. He bonds with that. Like Charlie and Mighty Ducks sucks at sports because he didn't have a dad and it's very heteronormative. And then he meets Coach. Like, you know, it's, it's an easy thing for them to have triumph on when it ends up all right in the end. But this movie is super weird because... It's subtext that their marriage is in trouble, not text. Like, it's not – from the kid's perspective, there is a little bit of, like, oh, our mom and dad, it's mom coming home. But it's, like – and maybe this is, like, leftover from the Stuart Gordon, Brian Usna stuff. But it, it feels – like, did you recognize how close their marriage was to ending as a kid? I fucking didn't. No, no. But I, I feel like I took that as a given – um when because. i was watching this stuff as a kid that like either a parent is dead and it's a single parent raising the family or 
uh, that the parents are divorced or, you know, in some, some way in trouble. Yeah. And that maybe, you know, maybe at the end of this movie, they'll be happier, but they create a, 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 an outlandish enough scenario that it distracts from the first uncomfortable, boring 15 minutes. I'm not saying they're they're boring in this movie. I'm saying from the perspective of a child yeah. um, that the first 15 minutes are always boring in these movies anyways. And you're like, eh, let's get to the part where they're little. Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting because it, it actually has the parlance of a couple who is going through some major issues but doesn't want to let the kids know about it like well because the kids like, are around everywhere so it's kind of yeah yeah they're yeah. they're they're, they're kind of like to say exactly how they feel yeah and they're like no we're fine no mom's coming home yeah mom's just on a trip and stuff like that and the kids are like uh, like they get more than what's being spoken but no one's like verbalizing like hey clean the house because i don't want mom to divorce me because i'm incapable of making you guys do chores but anyways i i just thought that when i saw it a couple years ago with Maya, i was like huh okay like their marriage is in big time trouble they're literally in the middle of a reckoning that like is all subtext and it's something that they and it's it's something they have to script right like that's not something that like rick moranis is putting into the procedure no because she's gone. And they're like, is mom coming back at the beginning of this movie? Anyway. Uh, yeah. So the mom's gone. Wayne Zielinski's there. He's he's quit his job and he's been working on this shrinking machine that is just blowing shit up. Which, you know, I got to tell you, if you want to shrink something and then get it back or transport it, the worst thing that could happen is if you explode all of its molecules. I I love the fact that uh, if it was essentially if it wasn't for the baseball, this movie uh, wasn't for the baseball and the, 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 the machine had gotten turned on in some other way. It would have been the story of how an entire family got murdered by a laser. <laughs> Because like graphically, that ap- I mean, that apple explodes it just all over Wayne Zelensky's. Yeah, it's uh, it would actually that feels more Usna and Gordon a little bit. But I got to tell you, if, oh yeah, it would become a Stuart Gordon movie at that point if it was just about a a, a scientist invents a, a shrink ray, but it's actually just a fucking laser and it murders yeah, everyone in the house, blows up, blows up his kids. I got to tell you, in that in the event that that's what happens, I bet those two do get divorced. I don't think that the marriage is going to survive um, his. We know it does survive. Oh no! Um, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not surviving. Hey, if, it, if if there's a chance it won't survive, uh, the kids doing their chores. I don't think it's surviving. You, your dumb fucking invention. Yeah, let me see. If it <laughs> imploded actually, my children. Let me see if it actually survived. Hold on. All right. It did. So, there and Honey, I blew up the kids, and Honey, I shrunk themselves together. All right, Honey, I blew up the kids. Uh, it's the same wife. Mm-hmm. I need to see if it, if it's the same wife in uh, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Well, it's definitely the same character. Who knows about casting? But all right, nope. This is going to be canonical. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Is Marshall Strassman in it? Nope. Some lady named Eve Gordon. So you're saying he used his science powers to make a new wife and like have his kids forget that yeah. that's not that's not his mind. I mean, he became a successful inventor, right? Uh sure. <laughs> Although if he had like uh if his kink was like giantism, I believe that his wife becomes a giant and honey i grew up the kid as well oh yeah i'll be like that japanese artist that just has like uh massive amazonian women stepping on his face and stuff yeah i mean he could really make that happen 
Yeah. <laughs> he can he can make it happen literally with the device he has at the end of this movie. This is not this is Oh yeah, cuz he cuz he could just shrink. Yeah. Yeah. He, he doesn't I mean assume, he, assuming it's not, you know, a half inch or full sized, it's you know, uh he gets a little bit of control on this fucker and all of a sudden like he can he can make himself a little a little guy. But technically an adult. Okay. Yeah. He's he's old. He's just six millimeters tall. Um, yeah. So he invents this this shrinking machine. He goes to I gotta tell you like a science symposium to show off his science, which P.S. works. You have every equation figured out at the beginning of the movie, but like you know, you feel like other scientists would look at it a little closer, especially if they've invited him to give a symposium. Instead, I gotta tell you this science team wherever he's presenting really stocked with a bunch of like high school bullies uh Feels they odd. are brutal um this is so i have friends who are scientists and this is uh perhaps the most accurate part of this movie because they're like people are fucking brutal no matter how much work you put into your your in, into your study like the journal will tear you apart that's part of the process this guy though this one guy is just, like, incredibly They're, petty. He doesn't just, like, walk out of the, the thing. He's like, everyone here should walk out. You're all garbage. Yeah, but normally they do that upon, like, published review, not like, no, fuck you. You suck. Zelensky. Like, it's kind of brutal. But anyways, yeah, so that's not going to help his marriage, so we think. Meanwhile, there's these two shitty kids next door, Russ Jr. And what was the other one's name? Ron Thompson. That's his name? Or the yeah, actor's name? Ron Thompson. Well, no, it's the name of the act- the character. There's Little Russ. There's Ron Thompson. Okay. So Ron and Little Russ. Uh, and uh, they have the worst toxic dad. Uh, yeah, Matt Furrer is fucking unhinged in this movie. He is. I mean, I love Matt Furrer. Don't get me wrong. But, like, he is... I love Matt Furrer. I wouldn't love him as a father. Not if he's like this movie. This, this is one of those... Like, I'm, I'll just get this out now because we know if we're ever going to fucking get back to it. But he is one of those fathers that's like, was it really a point in our culture where, like, you just married someone to be, a like, the, the breadwinner? Like, I mean, I know that was true, right? Like, because he's, like, a shitty husband. He's a terrible father. And everyone's just like, oh, you like, he's the worst. I think this is another example of something we were talking about. Um, where we have to forget the episode. But... The, these um these movies that are written by um so, so, sort of people that grew up in the 50s yeah and that that their concept of what a father is is actually somewhat abusive and, and terrible um but because they grew up with that like they, they think it's like funny when those fathers get like shaken up and get um, yeah get, so like, like to, they, yeah they, so they still... think it's funny to laugh at that concept of a father but when that father has to act like their normal sort of father they don't think it's like uh abusive and creepy when they uh, are just constantly yelling at their kids about how they fuck up yeah and like want like want them to be like no you gotta like use weights you never heard of weights to train for football i used to use weights and then he's like he sees he has a crush and instead of just being like yeah. Go on and talk to her. Like, you know, there's no reason to be afraid. Like, the worst that happens is you hear no. Like, instead of being yeah. like, he's like, she's not going to like you unless you do the thing I tell you to do, which is, uh, uh, uh fucked. 
That's yeah, it's not, it's not a it's not a thing type, you say to your children. The type of parenting where like you uh, you don't see them as other individuals, but like extensions of your own story. Anyway, yeah, he sucks in this. But you're you're. I think your theory is right because they give him like the mildest of redemptive arcs at the end, where he's like will sort of sacrifice him or potentially sacrifice himself to keep his kids safe and get him out of this. And it's like, oh, see, he had a little comeuppance. Um, so I think I think your theory is spot fucking He slapped on. around, but is still the same person. Yeah. Uh, and maybe just learn to not be a, all the time dick. Although this guy's forgetting that lesson a week from now. Anyway. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so they uh, they don't like the Zelenskis. They think they're weirdos. Also, their houses are funnily close to each other. Like, they built the fence in the wrong spot. Um, I've seen a lot of houses like that, and I can understand why that would be frustrating. Um, like, we have a lot. You could have moved it a little bit over. <laughs> anyway, the, one of the neighbor's kids, Ron, throws the baseball through the window. They go over to the Zelenskis. And they go up to handle it, and the baseball has actually made the machine finally work, because the problem was it was getting overheated uh, and causing stuff to explode, and now the heat, uh, the excess heat absorbs into the baseball, which is kind of sitting near it, allowing the shrink ray to work. So they get shrunk and realize they're shrunk, and then as they're trying to figure this out, uh, Wayne comes home to clean up for his wife's reappearance. And uh, sweeps up the attic. Start Starts with the attic. Bad move. Like, you don't start with the least visited room if you're cleaning for your wife. That's just a tip. If, you, if you're trying to clean when you said yeah, you, you, you do know. the cleaning more. Like, yes, the first part of cleaning is playing video games for two hours. And then the second part of cleaning is watching a movie and maybe taking a little nap. And then when you're trying to rush clean, you don't start with the attic. Yeah, you go with you, you go with the luster. You go with you, you dishes. Like finding always do dishes. Finding something that'll impress, right? Like the first thing they see, like the first area that that she'll, you know, if she's gonna come in the garage or the front door, you start with that that general area. Then you work in the kitchen because the kitchen being clean is like double bonuses, right? Because no one wants to fucking clean off kitchen counters. Also, uh, what's the first thing she says? She goes in the kitchen, sees dishes, and is like, "No, you didn't clean." Yeah. Yeah, it's not, but like you know, you forget to dust a shelf. It's like you know, he starts not 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 eh, only does he start whatever, with the attic, like, he sweeps it. Fuck you, dude! You deserve yeah. to get a divorce. Oh my know god! How to fake clean. Doesn't um, even doesn't even know how to play the 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 uh, basic marriage ask game. Um, so he sweeps them up into a garbage bag, takes them out to the garbage, and the kids are like, "We have to walk back to our house." And that is essentially like three and a half miles, based on how how um, how small we are. They are a half inch tall, and so that I, I'm not going to run down each one, but they run through a lot of adventures. It takes them a bit, essentially a day to get back. They run into bees and ants and sprinklers going off, which is like you know a monsoon for them, and they have to sleep overnight there, um, and they. And they sleep in a Lego, and then a scorpion attacks them. Um, that's that. I mean, I don't know what's going on in their yard, but they clearly need to mow more because you shouldn't. You shouldn't have a. I think they live in Chicago. Like you shouldn't have a scorpion in your yard in Chicago. But, um, or at least they live in Chicago. Maybe in the next movie. I don't, yeah, no, they live in California. They live in California in the next movie. 
but they yeah. they talk about moving anyway. While this, so that's kind of the adventure they're on, uh, which is great. We'll we'll talk more about that in more detail. Meanwhile, uh, Zelensky kind of figures out what's happened and starts looking for them and doing his best to look at them without rousing suspicion while realizing that their kids are missing. Russ Sr. can't go on his camping trip. People are calling the police and eventually he has to tell his wife, who's like, uh, whose name's Amy. It's like, I, I shrunk the kids, which is very funny. It's I feel like it's the one scene where... Rick Moranis really gets to Rick Moranis and shows him comedy chops. And I really do like that scene where he's like, yeah, kind of. They're in the yard. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is perfect. Like uh, nerdy guy about to get yelled at. Uh, but uh, so then him and his wife, Amy, start looking for the kids. Eventually, they finally tell the Thompsons next door what happened. They don't believe them at first, but uh, eventually also are bought into it. Meanwhile, uh, they, you know, they get back to the house. They ride their dog. They get on the breakfast table. They almost get eaten uh, in the very famous Cheerio scene. The fact that... Oh, I'll get to that in a sec. <laughs> Actually, I might as well just fucking do it now. So that scene where they're trying to get Wayne's attention on the table while the youngest son is in the the Cheerios, Nick, is so goddamn funny. Because they're talking about finding that. First of all, Nick is, in this scene, there's 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 the Godzilla thing of, like, variable height depending on what they're trying to show in a given moment. That's fine. But he is, like, the Cheerio is, like, a fucking five times the size of a monster truck tire. Right? Yeah. These are jumbo Cheerios. They're buying Cheerios on a budget. Yeah. The idea that he notices him before literally swallowing his own child is minuscule. It's too small in that scene, right? The dog does bark and lets him know, please don't hurt the kid. That was Did weird. the dog... <laughs> Wait, what? Are you are you eating Cheerios, Peter? I, I, I am not. That's incredibly weird. He's never barked at me uh, while I'm recording before. And as soon as you said the dog barks, he was like, yes, I, yeah, I can't don't... do that. Don't even swallow the spit in your mouth right now, Peter, before you get that checked out. Oh, that's weird. Molly checked on me. She was like, did he just bark at you? <laughs> Let's try it again. So you know how the dog barked. No, now he's, he's very... Oh, now he's getting in trouble. Yeah, now he's getting in trouble. Ow. That was odd. Uh, anyway. Sorry about that. No, you don't need to be sorry. That was, that was like magic. Um, so he finally realizes, right? Like he takes the spoon away from his mouth where he's about to kill his and eat his youngest child. And he puts down the magnifying glass on his head, and he goes, I don't know if you noticed this, he's like, hey, look, it's Nick. In the most, like, casual, like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen Nick in a couple days. Uh, tone. And then the, he looks down at the table and sees everyone else going, and then he goes, and the rest of them! <laughs> like, then he's excited. And I have to think, like, he doesn't like Nick that much. Really, he's not not a fan. Not both a these fan. parents, both these parents pick favorites. I gotta say, I think th I think they both picked favorites, and both of them are not Nick because he goes, "Hey, look, it's Nick," and then uh, Amy goes, "Oh, hi, Nick," and waves, and then they get super excited when they see uh, their daughter and two other random neighbor kids. <laughs> Maybe it's like we're not gonna get sued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The relief is. Uh... The, the relief is mostly that, uh, you know, that, that that their marriage is not going to end with a manslaughter charge. Yeah, that's probably good. 
Uh, so they unshrink them, and um, their oldest daughter is going to keep fucking uh, Russ Once Once you fucking a Lego, I mean. It is. Like, that was another thing I didn't get as a kid. Like, the two youngest boys who sleep in their Lego hole. <laughs> in their leg hole. No, wait. Who is Amy's the... Sorry, Amy's the... Is the daughter, not... The mom's name is Diane. Had that backwards. Yeah, yeah. But, like, all they needed to do in this typical movie is, like, by the end, they have, like, a cutesy connection and they hold hands. Like, there is, like, a, uh... Yeah, they're going to the dance. She... It's it's actually, like... He's like, do you want to go to the dance with me? She's like, sure. We go to the dance together, presumably. Um, yeah, so when you... But seriously, when you, when you uh, get used to operating at that scale... Um, do you feel like regular life looks really boring? Is this like going to space? Yeah, so here's so actually like, like my... Here's my secret reason that I think the movie was a success. I think it's a fun adventure film. It, it's not as good as The Rocketeer. It's, it's never laugh out loud funny. Like, I, I don't think there's a single, like, like, uh, 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 like purposeful, really funny joke. And even Reanimator has two or three of those. I don't think it's supposed to be. A, like, you, if you were classifying this and you didn't put it in the children's section at, a, like, a movie store, you'd put it under comedy. But it, it is it is very much more of an action-adventure movie. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, like, I guess the concept of shrinking your kids is supposed to be funny, but this is... I feel like this is uh, squarely aimed at at kids who like the idea of, of being shrunk. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like they have a complex of some sort, but like, or the adventure that comes from being being tiny in a in a big world. And I actually think like something that the '90s got really right in a lot of their successful kids movies is something that this movie gets perfectly. Which is that, like, one way to make a movie that not only kids enjoy watching, but mm-hmm. also want to watch over and over, are movies that, like, create a environment that the kid would love to be able to exist in. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of notes on this, and you're, yeah, go go, go where you're going, because yeah. uh, I want to sit on this for a little bit, because I don't think the actual movie is, like particularly that interesting in terms of choices like the special effects are interesting whatever this this particular phenomenon why it became a runaway yeah. hit and spawned sequels and became a fucking ride at disney is is because of the thing you're talking about and like you can see that right from like other movies that you probably liked as a kid like i i've actually recently seen swiss family robinson um and i think it's a really fun movie i uh some you know racism aside colonialism aside uh but why did i watch it so much as a kid well it's because they had that fucking treehouse that like i would have given my entire family up for to go live in for the rest of my life and then when pirates came they had a tiger holes and all these other things and like you just the only way to experience that was to just watch the movie over and over hook i love hook i still think hook's great when i was a kid holy shit those that like lost boy village they lived in like who didn't want to live in that village if you were of a certain age like they had their own bunks and they had pools and springs and like skateboard ramps and basketball hoops it was like um it was like a kid designed it all and i think like that is something that has actually gone away quite a bit because a lot of those environments 
now in nowadays kid movies, if they're done at all, which is rare, they're done through like CGI. And because it doesn't feel like a real and consistent space, because it's not, you don't have as many of those things where kids can just get obsessed with like living in the minutia of it. And this is a movie while, you know, the other two things I described are like specifically um, like homes, even though they'd be like at best adventure homes that you could live in. This really like everything about this from like a cookie that you could eat so much into how cool it looks to go in an environment that, you know, or probably knew as a kid, like the lawn and walk around and seeing it for this, like somewhat safe adventure area. And then it rains. And now you have a fucking water slide with a leaf that you go on, even though he's going to save Amy's life. looks like a ton of fucking fun. And like, you get to like it as a kid and even watching it as an adult, you're like, man, I wish there was just a theme park that had this, like that you could just yeah. go and hang out in because the it's so. Life area at Disney actually is like a little bit like. Obviously, it's not to the extent, right? There's not three miles of it. Uh, it's not Westworld. Um, also, but it's a little bit like it also kind of sucks because like... Kevin Spacey's there, right? <laughs> Hopper. I, I am. I imagine they didn't get his voice originally for the park. So weirdly, hopefully enough, they don't like, have it now. The park is probably less tainted than the movie. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, the, 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 this phenomena, you're, you're so right. This is actually the most interesting thing about the movie, and it kind of ties into the special effects. So um, the craziest thing about this movie is that in, in one sense, it's probably a pretty low-budget movie, in one sense. It's two houses, might be a backlot in Disney. The houses could, apart from the attic set, be any two houses in in southern california they I, I don't know if they went to pasadena and grabbed a couple houses or they built it on a back lot probably a back lot i imagine yeah um and uh it, they're, they're pretty generic uh the cast is actually somewhat small two sets of parents um a two few sets people of kids float, two people yeah two sets of kids a few people flow through but other than that it's pretty much pretty much those folks and uh in keeping with that the parents and the kids are largely separate after the first 10 minutes and barring the last five minutes. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of shoot the kids separately from the parents and like you can have your second unit guy go do some stuff and like it doesn't it like it doesn't matter. Right. Um, yeah. You can that also helps you probably skirt around child uh, labor laws because you can like if uh you know rick moranis's availability on a certain day like you don't need to get like 20 people together to get scenes with the kids right yeah um, the kids are all operating on you the don't you don't have to be a real john landis on the set <laughs> <laughs> um as far as we know uh no big grasshoppers beheaded any of the kids <laughs> and they had to edit it down to just two kids per family no like you're gonna like you mean you designed a bee that's actually like an airplane that's gonna fly around with this kid hanging off yeah Cinema. Yeah, I want it to be made of um, steel. I want it to be made by Boeing, and I want it to go 80 miles an hour. You think you can make that uh, happen by this afternoon? Not safely. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this afternoon. Okay, so not safely. So somewhat safer if we do, I don't know, four in the morning? No one sleep! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got your death bee ready. Ab, thank you. Thank you. I was going to call it the death bee. Did you put real venom in the stinger? Yeah, I'm John Landis, baby. I'm untouchable. I didn't lose, brothers. 
I called it the death bee so that in my special effects notes, I could note that I was uh, greatly opposed to this project. Death bee, love the name. Let's keep going. Um, but anyways, so the, the SFX comedy here, but it's not really funny, but it's an SFX comedy with tons of practical effects. That means that every shot with the kids, largely after the first 15, 20 minutes, is a new effect that Joe Johnston yeah. and his SFX team had to go build. In practical effects, uh, at least one massive object per shot. And it doesn't matter how, how many times you move around this single blade of grass, you know, effect or whatever. There's always an object that needs to be built to support a child's weight on it. Yeah. Because these are, th- this isn't just them walking past shit. This is them, like, grabbing onto shit to cross a stream. And this is them running away and, and, and flying through this object so that they can run away from a bug or whatever. Running away from water pellets. Like... This is, yeah. no, no matter how much composition work you do, a lot of the shit has to be, like, weight-bearing. This isn't just, like, stuff in the background. Yeah. And, that 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 is exactly it's insane. it. Right? It's insane. Like, like, the reason why Swiss Family Robinson or this or Hook or other examples that I can easily name uh, are, are so appealing to kids is that not only would it look awesome to have this exist in real life, that being on the set would have basically been the same thing because they had to build it all. Like that house in Swiss Family Robinson existed, right? And like as a kid, you instinctively like know that that if you had been on, it I, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> it doesn't even matter if you have to like live the fantasy of Swiss Family Robinson or it could just live the fantasy of being uh, on that movie set in 1966 you get the same enjoyment from it. Same thing here. Like, those that's a fucking water slide that kid goes down. Like, they built a water slide for him to go down and hold on to a leaf. That's not a... It, that looks like he, it's a little water slide with big great blades of grass everywhere. Ultimately, why it's so appealing to kids is that, like, you instinctively know that that water slide and that fun that you could have is something you could legitimately, if you were a millionaire or something someday have and like experiencing it vicariously through this movie is why is one of the many appealing things about it um i i think of like ninja turtles 2 as well like when they have the actual cool siller that's the sewer that's like the old train car there was so much of that in movies from my childhood and i also think it's why something like honey i blew up the kid which to a seven or eight year old as a movie might not be like I, i liked that movie quite a bit when it came out but I didn't have that same obsessive need to rewatch it over and over that I did Honey, I Shrunk the Kid because there's nothing in a Honey, I Blew Up the Kid that I wanted to like vicariously experience over and over that I wanted so goddamn bad to be true as a kid. What I wanted to pretend to be a giant in Vegas like that, you know, and play the light up guitar like that just it doesn't have the same thing. And so, yes, as an adult, I can say, well, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is like clearly has a higher pedigree it has more quality it's better written better special effects better directed than honey i blew up the kid but me acting like as a six-year-old that would have mattered to me or seven-year-old it's it's probably false like the if i was putting those two against each other the reason why honey i shrunk the kids would have appealed to me is that it offers me a fantasy as a as a kid to go live in that world uh that a world that as you said peter was created (laughs) did exist 
for a little bit. And I really think like it's something we've never really talked about on the show before. And I don't think it's talked about enough, but it really clicked watching this that it was like, oh, like that is a way that you make a movie that appeals to kids. You give them a fantastical home environment, landscape, whatever it is that allows them to the only way to experience living or existing in that world is to watch the movie. Yeah, you're 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 exactly right. And also, you I I, I you didn't touch on this, but uh, something that you've reported to me and I've reported from having nieces and nephews is that sometimes your kid will be like enraptured for thirty minutes, yeah, and then go wander off, and then two days later be like, I want to watch that movie again. And you're like, I thought you were bored because as in adults you'd be like, that's. That's the sign of boredom if somebody leaves the room while watching a movie. But instead, the kid was like got so wrapped up in the idea, the world in their head that they like could take that that nugget of an idea and go on their own little mental journey. And they can go like grab their own toys or whatever the fuck they're doing away from the screen and then come back later and and ask questions like that's something kids do. That's how kids react to this stuff. Um, They're not necessarily like just because they, they love a movie doesn't necessarily mean they're sitting wrapped for the full 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the Lego shot, I think is, is hinting at, um, what I want to say next, which is that kids love to have their own little miniature worlds that they have full control over. And, um, they love to have little miniature worlds they have full control over. And Legos is one of them. Dolls are another way. Playmobil, stuff like that. I mean, most toys. Most toys are just, are just, they're not, it's not, I mean, there's plenty of toys like swords and shit or toy guns where it's like it's to scale to you but most of it is at a smaller scale that you have full control over that's because little kids feel like they're outsized in their world by all the big people and all the big yeah. doors and all the big objects around them that they can't possibly lift and that requires all their strength to push and the idea that um and i used to play with legos pretty fucking like uh, like obsessively through most of my yeah. childhood like legos are the one childhood toy where it was like i i i'm like oh that'll be really cool if i ever have kids that they'll they'll be into legos like that's the one thing like i would love to share that with my kids because you get to build your own little world and like you you almost like put your brain like a video game like put your brain into the the minifig and you're like oh the minifig fits in. and i remember as a kid i used to specifically like if i was building a lego structure I had to make sure that it would it made sense for the minifig to reside in there <clears throat> yep. and that it wasn't too narrow and it wasn't too short that they would have to crouch down because I was like, well, I'm living here because I would put myself into the, the miniatures form. And like, I think yeah, even I, I remember that very yeah. well, too, that even if you had like you could have, uh, you know, because I went through like the, a bunch of different action figures and, and like created these like elaborate plots, at least for like a you know, first, second, or third grader of, like, if a, if a toy dies, I have to figure out a way to bring it back. <laughs> like, I can, you know, they were literally episodes of television and stuff like that. But in each of those, like, sets of playing, whether it was Legos, whether it was a bunch of mixed-together action figures of, like, Batman, Swamp Thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, you always had one that was kind of your lead that you identified with. <laughs> You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I and, and I would I would give them names and sometimes I'd be like, that's a good name, so this action figure gets a good name. Yeah. Uh yeah, but you're right, like that is so much of that is existing in there and and 
having a movie that 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 brings that to you is so important and i i don't want to make this seem like because actually all three movies that i mentioned are all three movies that i watched as adult and enjoyed quite a bit and i don't think it's just nostalgia but i will say in all three examples or four examples i said when i do watch them as an adult i still think oh yeah it'd be fun to like who wouldn't kind of want to go to the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse? Like, who wouldn't want to go on that, like, you know, Bugs Life type, uh, Grades of Blast, or uh, Grades of Blast, <laughs> Blades of Grass are giant, and I go down a weird mud water slide and uh, high, you know, eat a giant oatmeal cream pie that I can literally, like, just fucking stick my fist in <laughs> and come out with frosting. Like, like that fantasy watching this still exists and i'm sure a lot of it's nostalgic because i'm sure if i saw this for the first time at like 37 i wouldn't be like have those same pains of like um i want to stick my hand in that oatmeal cookie (laughs) but like but but that's why it clicked that's why like that why this movie is so appealing besides just like it's breezy it's funny it's got good special effects it's a fun adventure is like oh yeah I watched it as a kid and thought the same thing. Like, that's why I'm thinking it now. And that's one of the main reasons why this movie, I think, was such a big success. Because it offered uh, kids something to, like... At an age when it's really hard to tell what's a good movie and what's a bad movie, you just like watching movies. It offered something that was, like, compelling for you as a child to want to watch over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you get to like jump in the world and like soak in soak in the scale of it, right? Like, which is a little bit different. Like, you're not. It's not just you're seeing like uh, your favorite monsters or your favorite, you know, uh, characters again. It's that you're like, you can kind of uh, jump in the movie and be like, yeah, like if they were a half inch tall and the the grass was you know this tall, like that's how it would feel. Like you'd feel like you were in this jungle and there'd be a canopy. Yeah. Like yep. that. Like that. Like uh, sort of imaginative sense is is there and i want to also note here like because rick moranis and matt furrer are such talented like physical comedians and and, yeah. and comedians like uh usually the stuff back in the the adult world this stuff back in the sober world the the the, the world of the of the living is usually very <laughs> boring yeah uh because you're taking us away from the fantasy but the thing is, Matt Furrer and Rick Moranis are more or less acting crazy and being fun and wild. So it's actually really fun to like and being compelled, compelling. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they're 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 dramatically compelling. You Matt, Matt Furrer is not a good dad, but he's just like he's a dad that's hard to take your eyes off of, which is like a, also an archetype for a dad that you are probably used to growing up with. Where you're like, hey, that guy's dad's funny, and then you get a little older, and you're like, I do not want to be alone with that guy um yeah i think that's right i think that's a really good call out because it actually makes a lot of sense why you know when you're watching these kids movies how many like how many times do you like watch free willy and go oh yeah fucking michael madsen's the dad on free willy like why would you need michael madsen to be the dad in free willy and i'm not even saying that as a good example but there's so many of these movies where they have named stars as these Parts that could easily be throwaway parts. Like, you you get someone off the street to play the dad in Free Willy. Why they didn't is because they wanted someone who theoretically, although it probably worked the same way, uh, would be compelling for kids to watch. And in 
Free Willy, I don't think I don't remember Michael Madsen in that movie. But I remember fucking Steve Martin when he played a dad in movies. I remember Rick Moranis. I remember John Candy and these these are theoretically thankless roles, but I think you're hundred percent right. The part that they do is they because they're so watchable and because they're so uh, good at, at at saying lines and creating characters, and just because like you see them and you're like, I like that person. Like, um, and Steve Martin's actually I think a really good touch point because I I had a note that was like, man, I I'd like to make a list of like all the comedic geniuses I first uh, was exposed to from from watching them play like thankless parent roles in kid movies you know because like i think the first time i saw steve martin was uh father of the bride probably for me too probably for me too because so many of his movies were adult movies you know yeah like he's funny in that movie but he's not like funny to a kid i saw that in theaters in like 91 so i would have been eight the funny parts of that movie were martin short and uh when he gets arrested for the hot dogs but i i didn't see it as like funny like uh like I would have seen, I don't know, a Muppet or something, or like Bugs Bunny. It was funny, like a, like a dad, you know, like they just seemed like dads. Um, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. There's probably. I mean, I'm assuming it's the same is true for you. Like, I mean, oh, Dan Aykroyd. Well, I guess I I did see Ghostbusters, but I was thinking of like My Girl. Like he's the dad in My Girl. Yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> This was an era when you would cast you would cast uh you know the funny people as uh just sort of like you cast like the funniest people you knew and just sort of like these straight man roles. That was a problem with Steve Martin where they would cast him in lots of straight man roles. Um and then they would give him like a few minutes to be crazy in the third act and then other than that like Shit, like, is this a Steve Martin movie? Uh, he doesn't get to be a wild and crazy guy for most of the movie. I guess, yeah, I guess I didn't realize that Dan Aykroyd was ever a comedian till later because uh, I did not get that Ghostbusters was a comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's a serious documentary about uh, the dangers of uh, Gozer worshippers. Yeah, I mean, when you when I saw that at like five or six, I definitely didn't go hilarious. I went, this is the scariest movie I've ever seen. I probably but I thought Bankman was funny, and then everything else was terrifying. And then over time, I realized like, oh, Ivan Reitman is really funny. You know, like Egon's really funny. Um, and then uh, over time, I was like, you know, there's stuff that there's stuff that other characters are doing is pretty good. Like. And and then in that movie, Sigourney Weaver gets the sort of thankless straight man role. Yeah. Um, but like the thing is, there were so many movies like you were talking about Dan Aykroyd. Like they were kind of training us to unthink that these people were funny. <laughs> they didn't realize that's what they were doing. But that but because it was they were they were taking these actors and these comedic actors and like for them it was probably amazing work, right? Like. Um, you get to be taken a little bit more seriously, yada yada. Like you get a good, good paycheck, paycheck too. good yeah, easy pay, good, paycheck, easy. Well, yeah, more or less an easy paycheck because everyone's just expecting you to like come in and be like a voice of sobriety, right? And then, uh, and and, we, and there's also sort of the thing that people say, which I I think is you know it's a stereotype, but it's probably true. It's like comedic actors can do drama, but you know actors who train in drama can't necessarily do comedy. Um, so yeah. for someone like Dan Aykroyd, like playing a character of someone who doesn't have to try to be funny and is just sort of like a concerned dad, like is probably extremely easy. 
Um, and that's why he's so good in like gross point blank and such. And in yeah. this, like having Matt Frewer and Rick Moranis have like zany set pieces and they're very different types of set pieces because Matt Frewer is having an emotional breakdown throughout <laughs> every scene. And then yeah. Rick Moranis is just like, my zany bullshit is going to save the day. You just have to believe. Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, yeah. I, I, I actually think Rick Moranis' marriage is going to survive. I really hope Matt Fuhrer's marriage does not survive. I actually think, yeah, I think Matt Fuhrer's is going to survive, and that's really sad. She does not even seem annoyed with him. Like, she's yeah. just like, you know, yeah. I think you need to calm down a little she bit. Is, she is patient on a level that uh, rivals the gods. Let's go to quick final moments. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's do it. So, um, <laughs> I love the fight. I love the fight against the scorpions and the ants, the scorpion. and the Oh ant. yeah. Um, it, it feeds into, you know, kids think bugs are, are cool because bugs are both very gross, but also very like, uh, strange and alien. Um, and yep. also like whenever, you know, it freaks certain kids out. So the idea that like, um a spider might freak your parents out might actually make you like either repulsed by spiders or like interested more in spiders um and uh that the idea of this fight between like the ant and the scorpion i don't think the scale necessarily makes sense um there's some (laughs) some scale stuff in here that i'm like there's definitely i mean the fact that they could fit in the comfortably inside two of them to a lego hole like they're not a half inch big yeah, yeah, yeah. they yeah. are maybe a millimeter yeah and also inside the cheerio right like the, yeah. the, that's, that's which just, is which is fine like that's got that's the godzilla king kong thing sometimes they're like like i get it that doesn't bother me you know but if they're inside the cheerio and it's just lengthwise half inch no but they're in the holes sense. though yeah but they're in the holes but it's only a half inch tall yeah oh, not yeah, a half inch leg- wide yeah, so I mean, they're like a millimeter, though. Yeah. Anyway, it's two of them to a regardless. Hole. I think there's, I think there's some proportion. They could stand stuff. in the hole, Peter. Oh, they can stand vertically. Oh, then never mind. Yeah. I, I thought it was like a a, a cubby on a on a, no. a sub a submarine. It's like a hole. It's like a hole. One of those like circular apartments. Maybe it's a Duplo. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyways, it's not a Duplo. I. <laughs> it's not a Duplo. It's um, not a guys. Guys. I hope you know us well enough to know we're joking. I, I clearly know what a Duplo is. Um, anyways, uh, Duplo is uh, the guy from Major Laser. Um, the uh, kids kids obsess over this gross stuff. Um, and it's an easy to explain high concept. And so the moment that it happens, kids are going to go, oh, you're really little. There's going to be bugs around. Bugs are going to be fucking huge. Like you explain this concept to you. Explain the concept of honey. I shrunk the kids to your children. <laughs> Aaron, and tell me they're not going to bring up bugs in 30 Well, they seconds. both watched it, including... Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. Okay. Um, I don't need to explain it. I'd be like, you know that movie? But yeah, no, I mean, scorpions were like the coolest thing when I was a kid because I didn't have to worry about them because I lived in Montana and North Dakota uh, when I was... Uh, Montana when this movie came out. There's no scorpions. So they were just like these huge monster... Or these monster things that I got to read about in my cool bug books that I also didn't need to worry about. The Fallout manual were your cool bug books, right? Oh, yeah. I was big into Fallout in 1989. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was still a Soviet Union, I think, Peter. We were ducking and covering all over first grade or kindergarten or whatever. It was fucking cool as shit. 
It was way better. Like, the obvious thing they go for is a spider, right? Like, you got ant, bee, you got fly. Uh, you have uh, the hint of earthworms. Uh, spider is the obvious, and I love that they went scorpion, even if I don't think it makes any sense location-wise. Yeah, if they're in Southern California, even, like, you've got to go out to the desert. Like, you don't you don't really see them. Like, I live in San Diego, and I've never seen one. I've seen a tarantula elsewhere, but I've I've not I've not seen uh, and I go on like desert hikes pretty regularly. Like I think you've got to go somewhere pretty hot to see scorpions. Maybe it's like a baby scorpion to make the scale make sense. Um, uh, I don't know. It seemed pretty big. Seemed pretty. Or it's, huge. A, or it's a big ant. It's carpent. It's a carpenter ant. It's a. It's okay. actually. A we're getting we're getting closer. Are you saying this is a carpenter movie? Uh, you know what it feels like. It should be what a Joe Dante movie. <laughs> It's it's a Dante movie for sure. It feels like I mean, well, Mant, uh, you know, yeah, I guess man size uh, ant. Um, and you know, you know who it feels like it's scored by uh, Charles Band. <laughs> no, like so James Horner did the score, and James Horner's fine. Yeah, James Horner's fine. Um, I, but, don't remember, uh, I literally don't remember the score at all. It, it, oh, it like the like op- the no no the opening stuff though is like. Uh, James Horner watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure and noted how the score worked when it showed the house at the beginning. I was like, I'm going to do that. Exactly. It is Danny Elfman showing Pee-wee Herman's house throughout this movie. It's that... Like, exciting zaniness. Like, Yeah, when you hear it, like it probably is was the sound you heard. Think, go back in your head 45 minutes or an hour. The sound you heard as it cuts is likely the opening score for this movie. And it was like, I really was like, did Danny Elfman do the score here? Yeah, it's a zippity doo da day. There's no hum, 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 hum. It even starts with like the pan through all the little inventions in the house. And it is like, oh yeah, no, they saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which is fine. Like, if you're going to rip off an inventor's house with a bunch of weird gadgets and, and the, the musical sound that goes with that, like, yeah, rip off Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I uh, but yeah, it's, um, that sort of scoring kind of went away, I think. I think, um. Even I, from I, Danny Elfman. Yeah, I, I think, I think that sort of stuff went away, which is sad, but it, it did, like, add the sort of comic zaniness, and it did, like, that is what we grew up on. We grew up on these live-action movies with these, like, these, like, zany sort of zippy scores, um, and, and, and. And weirdo enough so that this blended in for me, like, I don't remember a single riff. And Weirdo Inventors, even uh, uh, Tommy Pickles from Rugrats, his dad was an inventor. Like, there was a a weird... Gremlins, too, right? The dad in Gremlins is a weirdo inventor. Yeah, it feels... Well, that's... Yeah, this makes more sense. It would be, you know, it feels like a Joe Dante movie. Um, This really... Like, did they not even... I I didn't see him being approached. Spielberg knew him. Why did Spielberg say, yeah, get... Clearly get Joe Dante. Dante. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like it'd be the same movie. Like, I think Joe Johnson's a good director. Yeah. I don't, I, this, like I said, if you. Maybe Dante thought it was too small. I mean, everyone was downplaying what it was and, and, you know, um. Do you want to, do you want to direct Teensy Weensies? No, I don't want to fucking direct Teensy Absolutely Weensies. not. Maybe this, maybe if the script was a different name, it would be something different. Uh, yeah. So I guess for final thoughts on this movie, Peter, I, I do really like it. Like, I, um. Like, it is an enjoyable, breezy, fun movie. Like, even if Joe Dante didn't direct it for some weird reason, 
yeah, I, I just enjoy it. Like, it's not fantastic. It's not great. But, like, if my kids want to watch it five to ten times over the next couple of years, I'm going to be totally fine with it. It's fun to see Rick Moranis on screen. It's fun to imagine eating a giant uh, oatmeal cream pie. It's fun to see Matt Fewer uh, be toxic <laughs> a bad dad. Like, it's just a good concept executed well with great special effects and, like, with a sense of zippy adventure. You know, it's it feels so, like, old person to say this, but I, I can understand why this was a big success. And I also kind of wish there was uh, more kids' movies nowadays that were, like, live action that were done with this level of, of craft that feel like, you know, $15 million, $20 million movies with some fun actors in it with some great practical special effects and everything else it just feels like there's just not a like this became a franchise but it feels like there's just not room for these kind of movies anymore like it either needs to be a hundred million dollar high concept uh with this idea of like here's where we could go in the next one or something like that and i don't know like this is just so fun and simple and it um i wish there was more like this uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um this sort of zippy live action fun family comedies the reason yeah <laughs> the reason that i one of the reasons that i uh pushed immediately into the pg-13 and rated r range when i was around you know eight to ten was because i ran out of movies like this yeah, um, I would I would go to the video store with my dad and we would I, I, we would rent something together and we watch it and we both think it was awful. And then, yeah, we would go to the video store next week and, you know, the following week. And eventually we like ran through everything that we had, like, either seen or had uh, heard was terrible or I'd seen on TV. And it was just like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I, I don't know. I guess I'll rent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 again. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, and if I, my standards, oh, were, yeah. if, if my standards were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 is the good movie, then you know that some of these were absolutely fucking dreadful. Um, oh, no, I, th- that is such a good call out really quick. Sorry, just because it those kind of like when people say like family movies, I think that just now like means like anyone in the family can watch it. But the idea of like a a movie that is enjoyable for parents and kids is so tough to find as someone who like goes through them a lot. And even as a kid, like I remember seeing a movie like called and there were so many of these I saw in theaters like like the great panda adventure which even i as a kid was like this movie looks like shit from the preview but it was like well i get to go see a movie and i can't imagine my dad was psyched about it like there just was so much shit and the idea of like this like movie that's fun if you're three it's fun if you're seven it's fun if you're 10 it's fun if you're 30 like those are someone who is really is watching a lot of movies with my kids right now because we can't go anywhere else uh those are really hard to find yeah yeah it's it's, it was something that i it was something that like bothered me as a chit as a child (laughs) and i and then my you know older siblings were watching pg-13 movies and i was like all right i guess i'm just gonna jump up that age gap because they're finding movies they like and that's also the story of how i ended up watching 12 monkeys when i was like nine years old so (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so this is the kind of movie I wish I wish that there were more of um, when I was I was a kid, and they were actually good because they stoke your imagination. Uh, they're not condescending to children. They maintain a level of zaniness. They get out in under ninety minutes, and uh, yeah. and, and they have lots of big practical effects to sort of um, make you feel like you're stepping into a real world as opposed to this like. Uh, digital cgi worlds which like i don't know man maybe kids these kids these days i'm shaking my fist standing out of my lawn maybe kids these days they do see like cgi uh, judging by the popularity of the avengers movies um they see cgi realms as just as real as 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 you know any uh, practical effects world but someone who grew up with like these these imaginative kingdoms that were handmade by special craftsmen like in person um Versus, you know, special effects work or uh, digital effects work, which is obviously also done by craftsmen in a different space. Um, I, I, in my brain, I'm thinking like, yeah, like this is something that stokes my imagination. This is something that takes me to a different world. Whereas with the Avengers, I feel like I'm in, I'm in the world for a little bit, and then, uh, yeah, well, it's about, it's about two hours. Let's get out of here. Uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So uh, next week. We're doing another Pete and Aaron joint. Uh, actually, probably a movie we'll have more to say about in as a movie. I think this is an important gateway, and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it because i i do I do really like Rick Moranis, and I like this movie. But I think The Rocketeer is going to be a little bit more to chew on of just like God. I saw another one. I saw in theaters. I think I saw all four of these movies in theaters, and I think you were probably born somewhere around the time The Rocketeer came out. Um, I've never seen The Rocketeer because, like... Wait, to this day? To this day. And you've never seen Tall Tale or Three Musketeers? Uh, I probably saw Tall Tale when I was the right age. This might be an episode where I was like, oh, I loved this. The one time I watched it at a friend's house, my friend RJ's house. Um, but the... Uh, well, I'm excited for you. I, I guess yeah. I never realized that you had never seen The Rocketeer. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a cult movie I just kept I just kept putting off. Well, I think you're going to fucking love The Rocketeer. I'm really excited for that. And I think Three Musketeers and Tall Tales specifically, I guess, for me, are going to be really fun to revisit because um, it's been so long. But I remember – like, I saw both of them enough, and I remember enough to think it's going to be a fun discussion. <laughs> but uh, for Three Musketeers, we're joined by Rick Kelly, and that's mainly because – and this is important to note. So Rick Kelly, in our first year, joined us for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which – was a swashbuckler adventure movie that's other claim to fame was it featured a brian adams song that became a number one hit and let me tell you three musketeers in its attempt to replicate that success almost to the t also has a brian adams song uh that i think did go to number one uh joined by two other powerhouses because disney was trying to up kevin costner uh, one up Kevin Costner, or two up Kevin Costner, uh, with uh, a song called All for One and One for All, with Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. Sting. Sting-a-ling-a-ding-dong. Uh, yeah, so Rick Kelly's joining us to talk about that. We expected to have a, quite a long discussion about the song. Um, and then we're wrapping up the month with Tall Tale with Ethan Warren. Uh, one of our favorite boys who sometimes uh, gets to come on to talk about complete nonsense and bullshit and sometimes uh, gets to come on and talk about Tall Tale, I guess. 
I don't think that's better. But he was a Muppet Christmas Carol. That was a good episode. But yes, Tall Tale. And that's what that'll wrap it up, Peter. That tail seems pretty tall. Definitely taller than Oliver Platt. Definitely taller than Paul Bunyan. That's true. I mean, if you stack Patrick Swayze on Oliver Platt. Really quick, what's Pecos Bill as a American folklore character's claim to fame? Pecos Bill. Uh, he's good at shooting shit? No. Uh... It's amazing how much, like, this thing was, they made, like, Disney shorts that I used to watch. Like, I don't think I've heard of Pecos Bill or even Paul Bunyan outside of anything in 20 years. Like, does uh, Johnny Appleseed even come up? He's not I mean, in the movie. He, he, I mean, his name is pretty self-explanatory. He puts puts down apple seeds all across the country. He just really wanted apple apple trees. Uh, Pegos Bill uh, roped a twister. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. I've definitely seen this movie. Oh, did you? Uh, Tall Tale? Yeah, I've definitely seen this movie. Yeah, definitely as a kid. This is going to be a fun, this is going to be a nostalgia audit. Oh, yeah, for you. Yeah. I bet, uh, you know who the bad guy is? Um, he wants twister? to build a railroad. He wants to build Peter. The it's bad guy wants to build a railroad. <laughs> Steve Rails back? No, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn, what are you doing building a railroad? They don't want that out there. I mean, don't worry, Pecos Bill, Paul Bunyan, and John Henry. Uh, <laughs> stop them. Uh. And they're going to stop us because we need to be done recording. Good night. Good night. much for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explained to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> if you can't <laughs> uh if you don't have a few bucks to chip in we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>